Another week going down memory lane for both of us. You're all iced out. I'm uh, chilling in a French cafe, according to my Zoom background. Uh, really, I'm just chilling out on the third floor of my uh, dorm hall here. Wow, your French cafe has three floors. That's pretty fancy, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got to say, it has been a weird week. I thought last week was weird, you know, starting off with a Kit Kat with no wafer, then just like running hot, getting Colts tickets and two sets of Pacers tickets. Uh, Checked my grades for one of my classes today. And obviously I've been in school since August 23rd. And I still have a zero out of zero in that class. Yeah, that's perfect. I have turned seven assignments in and none of them have been graded. And the deadline to drop the class was like two weeks ago. So like, if you wanted to drop the class, you had to do it without knowing what your grade was. That is, that is certainly a mind game. Your professor is playing with all of you. It's like, Honestly, I'm hoping he just like gives us all A's, but he doesn't feel like that kind of person. Um, and then uh, yesterday, I went to a marching band over at Marion University where I uh, play baritone. And uh, they were sight reading pet band charts right beforehand. And uh, lo and behold, they're playing a, uh, a chart from the band we're going to talk about today. Uh, that would be Chicago, or in this album's case, Chicago Transit Authority, because uh, they hadn't changed their name yet. Yeah, I think it's definitely a name that has gotten much better by shortening it. Although I also think at some point it's got kind of a a Perry the Platypus moment where, you know, they show up there, the Chicago Transit Authority, and then you sit there, you don't recognize it, and then you just get rid of the outside of it, you've got Chicago, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Chicago, yeah, I know that band. The best part about this is, like, it took them getting sued by the actual Chicago Transit Authority, which was, they're like, pre-Amtrak Amtrak, basically. Um super funny to me that like happened um but obviously this album uh near and dear to me because i have seen chicago in concert four times now and every time i do it they basically just play this album for like one half of the show and then they play the rest of their songs and like other hits for the rest of it and obviously I have a slightly biased opinion. I think that Chicago Transit Authority is one of the greatest debut rock albums of all time. Probably not as strong as Appetite for Destruction or Pearl Jam 10. But when I think of good debut rock albums, this is one of the first ones that pops in my mind because it's so different than anything else that was out at the time. Yeah, definitely um, going through this, going into research for this episode was the first time I really sat down and listened to this album top to bottom. And I definitely can see 
it just feels so different than any other music you would expect to hear at the time. It's got that very much kind of jam band feel to it with a little bit of jazz thrown in some other like kind of prog elements. Like you could hear the beginnings of so many different types of music going on in there. Um, it was fun. Ex- excuse the dog crying in the background, but you could hear going even back to the album we did last week, Point of No Return, you can kind of hear some influences there in that album that came out, you know, eight years afterwards. Um, like you hear, like, the, oh, this is where that sound began almost. And it's definitely a cool thing to kind of see. Like, for, I agree, for a debut album, it's very, very strong. For me, like, one of the things that stands out with this one is like, obviously, there's tons of instrumentation as there is with every Chicago album ever um obviously you know you have a horn section you have all your other aspects of the the group and um one of the things that doesn't get talked about is just how good some of their members were so Terry Kath for example is in many eyes, one of, if not the greatest guitar players of all time. Um, and it's interesting to me is that, you know, when you look at like interviews of Jimi Hendrix and they ask him, who do you think the greatest guitar player of all time is? He always says, many fans will say it's me, but if you actually listen to Terry Kaff of Chicago, like he's the, he's the real deal. Um, even uh, like members of Leonard Skinner and like Metallica and like all these like older rockers like have so much respect for this guy who really wasn't around that long in the grand scheme of things. I mean, he was uh, what, uh, 30, 31 when he died. Like, um, and it's just crazy to me um, that he was as good as he was. Um, obviously, the band also has Peter Satira, who's taken over the band um, since Kath's death. Um, and then Robert Lamb on keyboards, uh, Lee Longhand on trumpets, uh, James Pankow on trombone, and Cowbell. Great combination there. Uh, Walter Parazider uh, on saxophone, tambourine. And then I think the most underrated member of the group as a whole. Um, and the whole band is underrated uh, as Danny Seraphim on drums and auxiliary percussion. Yeah, I will say um, having the title of like best guitarist, even just talking about like a singular genre is- It's I impossible. Guess, kind of, it's, yeah, it's a hot button topic for me as a guitarist, as someone who's like listened to like well, especially like guitarists that people who claim are the best. There are so many guitarists who are good at what they do. Eddie Van Halen was so good. It just here's a minute long track, we need you a shredder solo. Go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you had Terry Kath who was so good at writing everything. He literally would write all the music, all the vocals, all the percussion parts, all of it but also like be a master and a wizard on guitar. 
then you also have people like Tom Morello. Um, and I think one of the most underrated guitarists in jazz fusion, Pamatini. Um, and I don't know, to me, it's like, it's impossible to name because I've seen so many like no-name guitarists who have been unbelievable live. You know, and so like, how do you really pick one? To me though, I think it is just crazy when you have like one of the gods of rock and Jimi Hendrix say, yeah, he's the best guitarist ever. Yeah, and that's, that'll definitely go a long way. Like, <laughs> we could, we could and probably should at some point do an episode just based on like guitarists. Um, and as it goes to this, obviously we're gonna have at least one whole track to talk about um terry's guitar playing but just like all throughout the album is definitely a blend of different styles which in different techniques things going on that really contribute to that title being bestowed on him by other people and i think that of the people that i would put up in the top i think he's definitely up there he certainly would hit my like top five lists of most underappreciated rock guitarists um from any sort of standpoint but he's definitely up there and yeah definitely have a lot of respect for his musicianship on this album yeah i uh i don't know where i would put him but he i would say on on, on the underappreciated list he's got to be up there like every time i bring him up like people are like who the hell is that it's like you know who it is like You've heard Chicago. You know their music. You know what he's done. And um, I gotta say, for this one, I thought it was interesting that uh, it was recorded in the same place as uh, Kind of Blue, just many years later. Um, Columbia Recording Studios, which, let's be real, so many famous albums has been, have been rec- recorded there. Um, CBS Studios is now what it's called, but you know Columbia 30th or whatever you want to call it in New York you know, has been home to so many world famous albums. And this one uh, also produced by James William Guercio, who at the time was kind of the shit in music, like he. He had Chicago, he had Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He had uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. He had all these awesome bands at the time. Simon and Garfunkel, The Zombies, CCR. Like, the dude was producing for everybody. Like, um, in fact, all these bands are in the hot you know, the Hot 200, the Hot 100 consistently at the time. So by no surprise, another album he produces. In fact, a debut album for a band that no one's heard of yet. He produces it and it's pretty much an instant success, an overnight success in many instances. So you said 
that this was really the first time you'd ever like listened to this album fully. Yeah. Um, and definitely I will say it was a unique experience listening to this album compared to the other ones we've done so far. Whereas with those ones, um, so as the first couple of weeks, so Appetite for Destruction, never mind. Um, those are both albums that I've listened to a lot. So I had like a good feeling for the entirety of the album. Um, like I had my thoughts going in. Um, they didn't change all that much. Uh, kind of blue. Like I hadn't sat down and listened to those recordings, but I knew all the songs on the album outside of flamenco sketches. But overall, like I knew those songs, played those songs, so I had a knowledge of that. Um, Point of No Return was last week was one I went in. I think I had like some moderately high expectations, just knowing uh, the singles that were on there, and came out feeling a little bit disappointed overall with the album. I would say compared to everything else we listened to, that was my lowest grade. And going into this one. Um, the first time I listened to it, I was a little bit preoccupied, like side got sidetracked. I was like preoccupied with other things and wasn't really paying attention. But after I finally got to sit down and listen to it, um, it just completely exceeded my expectations. Um, so I went in with kind of like a lower, um, grade scale, I guess. Like I thought I was going in with lower expectations and they got exceeded. Um, and it definitely felt like I was at a concert, just the way the album is recorded. Um, the setup of it, it flows very, very nicely. And I think this is an album out of the ones we've had so far. You absolutely should listen to this. Um, top to bottom, front to back, however you want to do it, just listen to it in order because it is really, really well-crafted as an album. And I think some of the songs individually don't necessarily stand out, but everything combined together in that architecture makes it just an outstanding album. Yeah, so for me, the, the big thing I've always loved with this uh, but I mean, I've been listening to Chicago since I was a wee kid when I first saw them live in 2000. Um, when I first really remember listening to this, I was in the car with my dad. We were on our way to the Children's Museum. And I remember we get to the track Freeform Guitar. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, what is this? He said, this is Terry Kath. <laughs> this is what he does. And I said, it's so weird. And I still listen to that song. And I, or, I don't even know if it's a song. I feel like he just literally like hit record in the middle of the album break and they forgot to cut it, you know? And I still like, it's so weird, but it's the fact it's on there and it's like, you know, you're, if you listen to this on the record, it's broken up into four parts, you know, front and back, front and back of two separate records. And the fact it's the front, like the first song, the front part of the record is so wild to me. 
And it's seven minutes of Terry Calf just playing whatever he wants on guitar. And it's so cool. Um, but then I really started getting back into Chicago again when I was preparing for a show to preview a show like their concert in Evansville. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, coming back to this and the band comes out, they play the song Introduction off of this album immediately. And I was just like, that is such a great way to start a concert. And then, of course, listening to this album again, it's like, that is such a great way to start an album as well because it really highlights everybody in the band. The horn parts are phenomenal. The drums are ridiculous. Even the keyboard and bass. And of course the guitar all play major roles in the introduction of this album. And that was one thing that stood out to me was that it's so well-crafted that like, it's not one of those albums where you can really like cut a song and it gets better. It's like the, one of those albums where if you cut a song, you lose a part of the story that it's trying to tell, even though there really isn't a story. It's like, until you get to the end. But that's a whole other topic of discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely starts off. Yeah, it just feels like you're at a concert. And he's mentioned that you've seen them live you said four times uh i think it's four times now um it might be more but like i don't really know how many times my parents took me as a kid but i can remember three of them and i know i saw them when i was like two yeah so that's like i would say also on top of this just being an album you should experience in its entirety i also think this is a band that you should see live just for that effect it's not like uh, it's not like this is like a super clean, well put together album, kind of like Appetite for Destruction, where you had all these like super strong recordings. It just feels like someone took a recording of a concert at points. Like the you feel like you're sitting in front of a big band with like horns and woodwinds and all this other stuff you've got all those elements to it and that's really powerful and something that's super cool with this album so everything like everything just about the aesthetic that it kind of brings forth is great it really accomplishes what it's setting out to do i think which is we're this band we're here come listen to us like spend the next hour and change with oh, us no, no, no. It, it, it is not an hour and change the shows are on average like three hours like you're paying for three hours of entertainment when you go to these um and it's always in like a really nice theater like they at one point i'm sure they were selling out rock festivals and all that but they haven't been doing that lately they've been doing a lot of Oh, we're going to go to the uh, Juanita Hammonds Hall for the Performing Arts in Springfield, Missouri, or we're going to go to the Palace Theater in Louisville or the Kodak Center in Rochester, New York. They're not trying to sell out the garden. They're not trying to sell out, um, you know, Heinz Field. They are trying to 
put this in like the absolute best audio capacity possible. And is one thing I will say about the band is like seeing them live is so different even from listening to the albums because you get a whole new energy from them because of it. Um, I really, I really cannot recommend seeing them enough. And tickets are never really that expensive, like $35, $40, which sounds expensive. Um, but I promise you, like, it, it is totally different getting to see them live. Um, it's definitely like, like next year, uh, they're going to be in Greensboro, North Carolina on May 20th, 2022, which is my dad's birthday. And this is like one of his favorite bands of all time. So I guess so tempting just to like, dad, hey, we're going to go to Greensboro um, for a Friday show to see Chicago. Like, I know you love North Carolina. So like, we're going to go. Um, but like, if you're in like the New Orleans area and you want to see him at Sanger Theater around that Tuesday, like, couldn't recommend that enough because it's like the week before Mardi Gras. Or if you are in Nashville around Christmas time or Chattanooga around Christmas time, they will be there. That's one thing they always do is they always tour. Um, and it's because they want people to know who they are. And obviously, you know, in some cases, you know, people are experiencing them for the first time. Um, I'm, I'm very tempted to like go to the Louisville, Kentucky show at the Palace Theater. I love the Palace. It is an awesome place. Um, and tickets are like really expensive though. It's like 80 bucks for resale tickets. So we'll see. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe I can uh, con somebody and get me a pair of tickets. Who knows? But, you know, it is just something like you have to see to believe like we, we I can try to tell you about my experiences but it won't do it justice compared to what you get there and speaking of really not doing it justice let, let's go on a little bit of a rolling stone rant here so 100 greatest debut albums of all time now this is across all genres obviously they had uh, Appetite for Destruction at number four, I believe, which is probably fine. Um, I mean, I would have a higher, but again, personal bias, whatever. The fact this album's not on there is absolutely insane to me. I mean, just like after looking at their list, I'm like, what? what? <laughs> Do you understand music? Do you guys know what music is? And I get Rolling Stones an opinion-based magazine and all that. So I shouldn't be looking that deep into it, but it is crazy to me. Yeah, I uh, I could fill probably an entire separate podcast with my ire towards the Rolling Stone as an organization. But it's just, they like select for very specific things i feel like most of the time and no, it just doesn't make sense to me like i just have issues seeing consistency in what they publish is like oh yeah this is what is uh this is what is good but yeah i think the idea of 
this album not making top 100 is pretty just pretty ridiculous to me just the idea of how this out like sure this album wasn't the huge like success that something like appetite for destruction was right out right out of the gate but this band this album came out in 1969 and this band is still touring and putting out new uh, music <laughs> they yeah. had a new album out like two years ago so to celebrate this 50th anniversary like this this album comes out in 69 they put out a new album 50 years later to like as like a commemoration of it um yeah that, like, that's what's crazy to me it's like so many of these groups that are on here there's no chance in hell they'll be around 50 years later um or that the albums will even be remembered 50 years later whereas like this one every show you go to they start off with the song introduction as a way to introduce the band and that is like so awesome to me to uh like know that that little that little tidbit about the band but yeah i just yeah i can't i can't get on board with i think that just the idea of if this album was not as good as it ended up being you probably wouldn't have chicago as a band still like they would have probably had like some success you know going into the 70s but they probably wouldn't have been this perennial like force and figure in music that they are without an out an introductory album as strong as this let's go track by track because this one again there's 12 tracks on this it's 76 minutes so it's a longer album compared to what we've done in weeks past and the last fourth of the album is like a story that they are trying to tell um and it is a like anti-Vietnam war demonstration outside the Conrad Hotel in Chicago at the DNC in 1968. So, you know, presidential elections coming up and it's this anti-Vietnam war demonstration. And it's supposed to go, you know, prologue someday liberation. But really, I feel like you could just combine them into the same track. And it would just be like one long 18 minute track, but that really is designed to just tell a story. So that's super cool. Um, but let's start with the introduction. To me, this is the strongest like song as like is its position on the album. Like, it's so good as an intro, but it wouldn't make any sense anywhere else. Like, I agree, mostly because I don't think you get to just introduce yourself halfway through. Although, right, that, I, like, can see, even I can it, see a band doing that, though, like, starting out with just, like, some super intense track. Like, you could start with, like, freeform guitar and then them come in and say, oh, hey, we're the band. Like, I can actually see that. But, like, I, yeah, I what I'm saying is like even yeah. if it was an introduction, even the name, even if the name was an introduction. 
Yeah. Like, let's say it's some other, you know, name that they choose. Um, it doesn't make any sense, like, musically, make, make any, any sense anywhere else on the album musically. Like, this is where it needs to be. And, you know, you can look at the lyrics and you can look at, um, like, all the other, like, aspects of this album. But it, to me, it's the the stronghorn presence coming in. It's the drums. It's Terry Kath's voice 10 seconds into, the, or into it. It's just completely different than anything else on the album. And it's such a good like example of who the band is. Yeah. And like, you know, you're talking about how they like open most of, they open their shows, live shows with the song. To me, it felt very much like if you're a fan of the Blues Brothers. Um, great movie. Great movie. Yeah. And just like the band itself, like if you listen to, um, you know, their debut album, Briefcase Full of Blues, they start off their most iconic sort of intro is uh, Can't Turn You Loose. That's like the big the big intro that they do. And if you can associate like one sound bite with the Blues Brothers, that's the song that you think of. Um, and that's, there's this whole intro done by Ackroyd when, well, I guess Elwood, uh, but <laughs> um, he like does like this talking introduction, but that's like your intro to the band. And it's super cool. Like that's just such a strong way to make your statement. Like here, we're here. This is what we do. Um, it, it, like introduction gives me that same vibe. Yeah, and oh man, I, I go on and on about this, but like the horn parts are so well crafted. They're difficult. They're fast paced. They truly like. They stepped it up a notch, like from other like jazz rock groups of the time. Because, you know, you get like a minute into the song and they're hitting this heavy breakdown section with the drums and horns playing off each other and then off the keyboards. And it somehow works. Yeah, it's just like the just for like a musicianship standpoint like the playing on this album is extremely technically sound um everything's just like very precise um all the notes are just where they need to be it feels like the notes are designed to fit in that spot in the tapestry that is the chicago sound and it's just a work of art when it comes together and you really just want to sit there and enjoy it it would be absolutely crazy to me, like to imagine like being in that room, like hearing this recorded live. Like it would be so cool because it sounds like they did it all in one take. And you know that there's just everybody's been in a band, like, you know, even watching like middle school band, and you're like, you're, you're, you're always waiting for that missed note or like 
you're waiting for the missed rhythm or the band to slow down or the, something to go wrong. And with a band like this, you run into that issue in the same way. And yet it never comes. Like it, it, it's and obviously they're all incredible musicians, but it's like the musicianship is like at a whole nother level on this album. And this just shows it. I mean, the breakdown section in the middle of this is so crazy to me. Like the horn just slowing down out of nowhere. The drums like picking up an intensity with the keyboards. And it, it, it really just is such a good introduction to who the band is and the album. Track two is one of their, I would say, bigger hits. Even, you know, Spotify plays don't tell the whole story because I think a lot of people who listen to Chicago listen to their records or they listen to their CDs or they listen to their tapes, whatever it is. Does anybody really know what time it is? Uh, it's one of the songs they had off here that charted. In fact, this and the next song both reached number seven in the Billboard Hot 100. And I gotta say, this is like, if the introduction is like the perfect culmination of like how chaotic and how crazy the band can be, this one really like mellows it out enough where you're like, oh, they have more than just a crazy side. You know, starts off with a really quiet piano part. Makes you feel like you're listening like an old Duke Ellington-esque album with like Take the A Train or something like that. And then immediately, you know, it starts to pick up. It picks up a little bit of chaos, but there's... It feels like an actual... Like, I don't, I really don't know how to describe it. It just, it works. You know, it feels like a song that even with the chaos of the keyboards and the drums, which the drum parts in all these are hard, but this one in particular is ridiculous with the sextuplet rhythm. It really shows like how versatile the band is. Yeah. Uh, okay, I have, a, I have some thoughts on the song. Uh, but first, I will agree. Like the, it feels like a perfect transition into the song from introduction. Um, the horns are excellent. Uh, so my two thoughts were the first one. Um, I guess it's a slightly uh, less serious one, but taking the lyrics just as like face value. Can you imagine <laughs> seeing someone walking around with a watch? And you're like curious what time it was, and you ask them, and their response is, "Does anybody really know what time it is?" Like I would, I'd be so upset. With Listen, somebody. jackass. Yeah, <laughs> like, like uh, I'm about to fight you over being snarky about your watch. Like <laughs> the worst answer to this question I could think of. I was like, I'm not asking for a philosophy discussion. I, I just want to know what time it is to see if I'm late for my train or something. Yeah, I, I love the, like, <laughs> it feels so weird. Like, the lyrics, like, I wonder if this is, like, based off a true experience. Like, he walking around New York or walking around wherever, 
And like, could you imagine if like you're the guy who was a snarky jackass to him, and then he writes a top ten hit like, based off of you? Like, how yeah. awesome would that be? <laughs> That'd be pretty good. But so my second thought, actually, uh, I said oh. thinking about philosophy, but um, I had I got way deeper into the song than I thought I was going to as I was listening to this and I started going into some philosophy um, philosophical ideals while listening to it I got (laughs) super deep Um, but basically the whole idea was around um, Camus Um, and if you're not familiar with Camus he's an author um, and one of his his most known um, books was The Stranger. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was very much a, he had like some philosophical tendencies like about absurdists, absurdism, um, which is basically this idea that, um, you know, just trying to like go around rational thought and like what is rational in that time um his big paper on this was about sisyphus um which is like you know is sisyphus like if you go to the myth pushing the rock up the hill is there a point where he like finds joy and that's kind of what this essay goes into but the stranger is just a story about a person you never find out their name it's just a narrator and he just exists and he sees people around him, but he just doesn't really care about anything. Um, so uh, that is kind of what I view uh, this the person that you're seeing a perspective of in the song. That's, I could see that being the stranger. It's just like, you know, time itself doesn't really matter. Like, sure, I could tell you what time it is with my watch, but it doesn't actually the time doesn't matter um because you just have enough like whatever time you have is what you have um and that's that's all that matters at that point so i i kind of agree with you more like this i I still just find this like the lyrics the song i'm using i'm just like absolutely hilarious um i think one of the most like underappreciated parts of the song is the trumpet solo at the beginning. Like it's very subtle, only like 20 seconds. He doesn't do a whole lot, nothing fancy, but it really sets up the rest of the tune. And I gotta say, as obviously Chicago has a lot of bigger hits that they play, you know, from the eighties, especially. This one, I think, is one of the ones I always love hearing on the radio whenever it comes up. Um, So, and Robert Lamb, one of the most phenomenal keyboard players of all time. Um, Just unbelievable as a keyboardist and still going strong with the band today, man. it's been nuts to say the least. Um, obviously, has his own solo stuff he works on from time to time as well. But 
truly was a master at his craft. Let's move on to beginnings. And uh, first thing we got highlights the trombone solo in this. The trombone solo is magnificent. Yeah, I like I said, this album is a lot of really good musical qualities. Um, very just like if I could draw like a modern comparison, obviously they're still touring, um, still performing. But if I had to choose like a kind of more modern comparison to a band I really enjoy, and I was kind of going back to while I was listening, um, is Snarky Puppy, actually. Just the idea of these like collective group of outstanding musicians coming together in larger ensemble and making excellent music that was kind of the feeling i got and it also felt like everything was just flaw like one take we got it whatever um obviously you know that's producing but <laughs> it just like it just gives you this vibe of i'm like i could envision myself sitting at a chicago concert and hearing these being performed and it's sounding identical to what is put on the album. It is a true work of art to say the least. I <clears throat> obviously have seen, since I've seen the band, they perform this every show and it is still just unbelievably fantastic every time. And one of the things you know, you, you brought up Sarge Puppy. My mind immediately goes to Here Come the Mummies. Now, obviously, uh, a little more of a raunchy band, you know, because that's their gig, you know. They, they write all these sexual innuendos in their music. Mm-hmm. But overall, man, just the musicianship and, like, how all these individual players could just, like, Go be spectacular musicians on there if they really wanted to. But they decide to like come together and form this band for many, many years. And that's always really cool. Beginnings for me is what truly like picks the album up. Like this, in addition, I think it's the most popular song on the album but based on spotify metrics which isn't perfect obviously but it truly shows like between the opening fill on the drums and the opening like acoustic guitar portions and then the unified horn line into these vocals like it's truly set up in a way that highlights everybody better than almost any other Chicago song I've ever heard because everybody gets a solo. Everybody highlights what they're good at. At the end, you hear all the horns put their horns down and play their auxiliary percussion instruments. This is, like this song exemplifies who Chicago is better than anything else in their discography. And I, I don't even think it's really that close. Like, it's not my favorite Chicago song, but it truly exemplifies who they are. Yeah, no, I definitely. Um, it's just it's just an interesting thing where 
like I said, I hadn't listened to this album top to bottom before getting ready for this. Like, obviously, I knew, does anybody really know what time it is? But, like, some of these other songs on here, like, I'd heard them before, but never really associated them directly with Chicago. It's something to be said for Chicago's just place in music history where if you ask somebody to name a Chicago song, they probably wouldn't be able to necessarily name a song. But if you play Unless it's song, 25 or 6 to 4. Like yeah, that might be the, you know, yeah. that's the only one that I think everybody pretty much knows. Like, Yeah, if you're like, you know, name a song besides that, they, they might not be able to. But if you played them a song and they'd be like, oh, I know that song. And you'd be like, oh, well, that's Chicago. They'd be like, oh, really? I had no idea. Like, it's just a band where... You've heard a Chicago song in your life, guaranteed. Um, and if you, you probably like that song because they have put out a lot of good music. And if you enjoy that music, I think you're doing yourself a disservice from not listening to more of their work. And like I said, sitting down listening to at least this whole album. Um, I can't speak for every other album they put out if they're framed similarly, but this one is definitely an experience you should have at least once, just sit down, listen to it. That, that's why I said, and obviously, you know, that's why I picked this one. Um, completely audibly from what I was originally going to pick for this week. Um, but I'm really glad I did, because, like, again, it's one of those where it's like, you know, who knows how much longer Chicago has in touring. You know, maybe they become the next, like, Count Basie Orchestra, where they, like, just tour under the name Chicago, right? But like, while they're still alive, while, you know, that's why, was, you know, it took them damn near 50 years to get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a whole nother argument we need to devolve into at some point because, oh God, there are some bands that are not in and I'm like, what, what, are, what are we doing here? Like, so many bands that are not in and I just, I don't even know. Um, the next, the next one on this album was always a song I knew as a kid. I could sing all the words. I could sing the tune. I would describe it word for word to my parents, and I could never figure out the name up until about four years ago when do, about to do the Chicago show for the radio station. I literally could not remember that the name of the song was Questions 67 and 68 for the life of me. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, because it was one of their bigger hits off this album. You know, charts, I think at uh, like 17 or something like that. And I always love this because of the opening. You get like two pickup, like, two pickup notes of drums, essentially. And then in comes this horn line and it's very like Bill Conti-esque where it's like, it feels like gonna fly now, like right at the beginning, very triumphant sounding. And then the vocals come in. Um, and again, Pierce Satira is the vocalist on this. And it truly like sets up the band well. Um, it's always awesome to see live too and 
I don't love Peter Satura as a person. He did the band really dirty in the 80s. But goddamn, his vocals on this track are unbelievable. Uh, I am not a fan. Really? Of this song. Nope. Just um, when I was going through, I was mixing the names of the songs up in my head because, like, I have these albums playing while I'm at work. So I'm not always sure? looking down and seeing the name of the songs. So I actually thought for a second that this was Beginnings I was thinking of. And when I was looking at the the amount of plays they had in my head i was like there's no way that beginnings has the there's no way that this song i'm thinking of has the most plays on this album and i was right but apparently it has the second or third most but yeah i just i just couldn't really get into it um like it is certainly like it's different because it's the first song on the album where satur is the vocalist and I think that that voice change kind of throws it for a loop. I think Lamb would have been a fine vocalist, but Peter Cetera, I think, does a fine job. But again, it feels, I almost feel like you're supposed to look at this as like a new opening to a new album. Like, I feel like intro through beginnings should be an album and then like, or like an EP or something, like 20 minute album. And then, question 67 and 68 through poem 58 should be an album and then like freeform guitar into i'm a man should be an album and then obviously the entire last half or the last quarter of this all being about anti-vietnam should be like its own thing and it could have been released like that and i think if it's solely as that as in this is the intro to a new album and not the fourth song on an album, it gets looked at differently. Because yeah. it, it has a very, like, gonna fly now vibe at the beginning. Yeah, it just doesn't, I don't know. It's like, sometimes a song just doesn't vibe with me. I don't know how to describe it. Part of it is, part of it is the vocals where, um, I feel like so much up to this point had been made about the instruments of the band. It was like very much like this is an entire band experience that you're getting. This is not just your typical rock band setup. You have horns, you have this auxiliary percussion, you have these other things going on. And this song to me just feels like so much of it is centered on the lead vocal. Yeah, it, it, it attracts always, from the rest of the song, and it just doesn't always been feel. The gripe. That has always been the gripe with Peter Cetera. Yeah. He he cut the he cut the band out of everything, especially in the eighties. That we're never going to recover review a eighties album of Chicago because like I can't do it. I can't stomach it because like there's so much talent in the room and you're not using it. It makes no sense. But I agree with you. I think that if you use the horns more, maybe make this an extra two, three minutes longer and you let the horns do what the horns do. You let the drums go. You let Lamb just go haywire on the keyboards. This is a much better tune. Uh, but as a kid, I always loved it. Um, this is one I always enjoyed. 
Next song is Listen. And this is the most underappreciated song on this album by a mile. Um, I love the horn parts in this so much. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, from a musical standpoint, this is like the one I found myself kind of grooving to the most listening to it. Um, just got a great beat. And it's also just a huge, uh, I guess, breath of relief. Like I said, not the biggest fan of question 67 and 68. So coming off of that and going back to what it feels like, okay, this is like the identity of the band that I've heard so far. I don't know what that last track was, but this is back to <laughs> what you liked, what I, was, what I wanted to hear. So yeah, definitely felt good. And that might that might be like bias speaking. It's like I really like the song because it's not question 67 and 68. But yeah, it's got it's like nice, simple, concise. Um at least when it comes to the lyrics. Um, and then but you still got that rich horn section, which is what I like. I really just want to hear more of the horns. So and this also features um one of the first bass solos on the album too about midway through the song and then of course terry katz guitar solo and this is phenomenal um again about halfway through right after the bass solo you get a little break with a guitar solo in it and it is again another just like experience with terry katz um but another thing i really like is the breakdown you get past like Terry Kath dueling with the band in like a weird solo hybrid to where the band comes in with this like weird horn lick where none of the notes make sense. It kind of grinds against the bass and keyboards. And yet that's how you know that like they get their influence from jazz because it's just such a like fantastic big band sound that they've got going on, but it's very like bebop scale or like very bebop sounding like chord structures. And it's super, super awesome to hear. Yeah, this is a really good track. Um, definitely agree that it's like one of the, I don't know if I would say it's like the most underappreciated, but it's definitely high on that list for me. I appreciate how underappreciated it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of tracks out here that are underappreciated. Um, I might have been a little hasty saying the U.S. underappreciated because the next tune is also horrendously underappreciated. It starts off with this like kind of just guitar jam right at the beginning, um, and then it picks up. You get a little bit of drum in there, like interacting with the guitar, kind of playing off each other. And then it picks up and then it goes right back into just a guitar solo. And I just... Poem 58 is, a, is another masterpiece on this album. Even though it's eight and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like, I don't know. I like long songs, personally. Um, 
that might just be my jazz background where I love to hear whoever wants to like contribute to the identity of a song getting the opportunity to do that. Like our jazz concert sometimes like we wouldn't we normally play, you know, maybe six songs for a concert. There was like two hours, two and a half hours just to give people enough time to get the solos they wanted. And so for me, it's like, I'm definitely a proponent of just like, take your time, um, let people explore the sound that they have. And yeah, I really like, like, sure, the songs, some of the songs I hear are like six plus minutes. Um, this one's over eight, eight and a half. And I think part of the reason that this album might not have had the initial success is because of those longer songs. Like you're not going to sit there and like play a seven minute Chicago song when you could play two songs from other bands that are like three and a half minutes, right? Like you're going to try to get those plays from those other artists and acts or like known quantities. Like these are who's going to be popular, but it also leads to great moments like this where I hadn't really heard the song before uh getting in here and this is one of my favorites on the album and i think people will shy away because they see the length They're like oh i don't know if i want to listen to it but that's the kind of stuff i love so for me it's just all upside this song yeah this one i, I like i said it's one of the ones that i think could also be in the running for the most underappreciated and like for me, this really highlights just how good um, Terry Cass is as a guitar player. His guitar solos in this are phenomenal. And of course, Danny Seraphin on drums, also phenomenal work in this. The, 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 the percussion on this album is fantastic. He, he is a reason why I think the band made it as big as they did because he's such a good drummer and percussionist overall but if you just like isolate calf and the drums and you just like throw everything else out on this album this part of the album it would still be good like yeah this is definitely um and one thing with the just how to put it um something i'll say for a lot of guitarists that like i put in my rankings for kind of like considering them underrated is a lot of the times it doesn't sound like you're doing anything too fancy um and i think a lot of the solo on this track specifically is like oh you know it's just kind of like it's got like that bluesy feel like lots of like blue scale notes um you're sticking to that for the most part but here's the thing like just coming from the standpoint of like a guitarist, um, you know, most people who play the guitar can learn how to play a pentatonic scale. It's not difficult, it's five notes. Um, you know, six if you wanna get fancy and add like do the whole blue scale thing. But there's a reason that not every, there's a reason that people can play a pentatonic scale and not be at the, just be able to like, oh, I can play like BB King or any of these other like blues greats or even someone like Terry Kath. Like these are, are so much more than just knowing how to play a note. 
And Kat does a really good job here of just nailing a specific feeling um, and not just sounding like he's just playing something to play it. Because like, that's definitely a position I've been in before, you know, trying to like pad out time at a gig. It's like, okay, I'm going to play these notes and it'll sound kind of cool, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It feels like every note that Terry plays is he's playing very deliberately, um, which is something that I think guitarists strive for. Like they want all everything they play to have purpose. Like, um, you know, I forget the exact phrase um, and the person who said it, but it was basically like, I would rather put a pound of soul into one note that I play than just play like a million notes. And that's like a, a feeling I get with Kath here is not always playing the flashiest thing, but everything he plays means something. Speaking of Kath playing something that means something, very next song on this album, Free Form Guitar. I played this on the radio one night and I remember a lady calling in and saying to me on the phone, what the hell is this? Because like, you know, there were nights where we would just like come in and throw on an entire album with like commercial breaks in between songs. And I remember throwing this on and this lady calls in during this. She was like, what the hell is this? What am I listening to? And we were a jazz station, like predominantly jazz. And I was like, this is what you listen to all day. Like, <laughs> this is like every jazz piece we play. This is what this is like loosely based off of. And um, I remember again not understanding this as a kid and still really not understanding its place as an adult but i'm really glad it's here because again if you break this into like four mini albums it's a good intro to the third mini album where it's like oh yeah here's how we, this is how good our guitar player is by the way yeah, I. It reminds me of, again, like this whole album's really good at just kind of embodying the feeling that you're at a concert. And it reminds me of when I was in high school. I saw, I went to a couple concerts when I was in high school. One of the first ones I went to was Dragon Force. And um, it was a really fun show. I actually got to meet the band. It's like a little VIP meet and greet thing. It was super, super cool. Uh, they're all really cool guys. Also, like made famous by Guitar Hero Three, of course. Um, if that was a name that you recognized, believe Dragon that. Force? Yeah, yeah. Is it Through the Fire and Flames like the hardest song on Guitar Hero Three? Oh yeah, for sure. Like um, it, I, I I remember as a kid, all my friends be like, "I'm learning how to play through the fire and flames on expert." And I'm like, "No, you're not." <laughs> so there's like a, I could do a bunch of side notes on on just like that track, but, <laughs> but uh, I remember like 
getting guitar mic like i guess a slight sidebar for this slight tangent but i remember getting like guitar magazines back when i was like in high school and people were talking about they thought that um the like guitar parts on dragon force albums were like studio tricks like they weren't actually playing that fast um which they were but no that's not like it wasn't like a new thing for someone to play guitar that fast anyway but at so in this concert um it was like one of my first it was my first like live like metal-ish show because it's power metal right um i was 14 we're in the fillmore <laughs> east in new york city um who was fillmore east but anyway we're in new york city me uh, my best friend at the time and my dad took us and it was ridiculous <laughs> so like have that experience of going to that show at like 14 was awesome but in the middle of their show they did like an intermission and um vad and fred who are the keyboard and keyboards and the bassist for the band came out and did this like little intermission um where vad like played his key like played his keyboard and all the other instruments he had around like theremin stuff like that and fred played guitar and it was just a super fun they were being like whimsical doing things vad was like tilting over his entire keyboard rig and playing at the same time at like a like you know 30 40 degree angle it was super fun to watch and it was super chill and at the end they did like a little uh, it's a me mario and like had yes stuff mario threw it into the crowd it's awesome um, super fun and that's what this reminds me i was like this is just your guitarist taking a break in the middle of the show everyone else needs to like go like get water um you know this was like the 60s get some sort of recreational substances uh whatever it is just take a break and you're just looking at your guitarist and you're like i don't know do something and terry is just like okay i'll do something that's what it feels like <laughs> it's like it's like and it still has it feels like it still has like a shape to it like still has a structure in a sense which is super cool um to be able to come up with that and i believe it said like it was just like one take no extra sort of like fuzz pedal or anything nothing it's just him it's just a guitar plugged in and that's what he's doing and for i don't know for like super guitar nerds out there like that's a really incredible sound to get when you're not using some sort of fuzz pedal like people pay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for pedals that make their guitar sound like terry's guitar sounded on this track um so that's it's just awesome it's like a really good really good track absolutely my favorite thing about you you talked about the guitarist giving everybody a break I saw him in Evansville two years ago now at uh, our, uh, one of our theaters down there at the old Nashville Center. The trombone player, who's one of the few surviving members left in the band, literally goes, hey guys, we got to go do coke backstage. We'll be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I about lost my shit. Like, could you admit, like, 
bunch of old dudes on coke up there on stage, like just having the time of their life. South California Purples. South California Purples, the next track. And this is one of the ones I always kind of forget exists. It's good and I like it, but I love the next track so much more that it just kind of feels like a roadblock sometimes. And I always forget about it. Yeah, I... This track is definitely up there for me. Um, but it definitely also just has that like this is a song that when I think about it it sounds like something that me and my roommates would play in college like this is something that we would just jam to um, like after a church service or something like that or like a gig it just feels like something that we would jam and that's so it just like brings back that those memories and it's really fun. It's a fun, it's a fun track. It's so chill too. Like the pace is slow. It's you know, tempo's got to be like one hundred four, maybe like one ten beats per minute, right? It's just like so laid back and relaxed, which is like again just completely different than everything else on this album, where it kind of feels like things are rushed a little bit or like. They're pushing forward, and it, it, it is it is one of the uh, like, again it for me like it's a roadblock to I'm a man, which is a cover, which bold of them doing a cover on their first album like that, like a cover of a song that was already like seeing pretty decent commercial success, like. Bold of them to come out and do it, but but they do it. And I'm a man um, by the Spencer Davis group, I believe, is who the original uh, group is that does it. Is the very next song, and this one has vocals from Lamb, Satara, and Kath, and then everyone plays percussion and everyone plays their horns and the keyboards are unbelievable and the bass line is unbelievable. What were your thoughts on this cover of I'm a Man? Because if I remember correctly, the original I'm a Man's like two and a half minutes long. And yeah, two minutes, 51 seconds. And this one is seven minutes, 42 seconds. Um, again, I'm a fan of like longer songs anyway. So I feel like this one, although I think it goes down to just like, it's tough because like the original recording of this is also just iconic. Absolutely. Um, So like, I like both versions, but like for very different things, like, I think the Spencer Davis group version is like, if I'm thinking of one in my head, it'll be like the one that comes to mind. But I would say this falls into me as a category of like cover songs that are equal to the original. Um, I don't think it necessarily surpasses it. Um, but I like this version 
about the same. Um, it just does a very, it feels a very different like niche for me in terms of like the music I'm listening to. Um, you know, this one's got, I think it's got like a little more flashy like instrumental to it. Um, so it's, it's tough to like put the two. I think there are some, like for me, I look at cover songs in a couple different ways. There are some where it's like, just like you can try to cover it, but it's just never gonna equal up to the original. Um, then there are some where just the cover is infinitely better. It's just like so far better that people don't even care about the original one. Um, I think this one is like, the difference between them is super close to where I wouldn't feel comfortable be like, oh yeah, this is like the better version. Um, yeah, I agree. It's like very much like ambitious to like cover a song that came out two years before. <laughs> like, like you said, if the other one wasn't having commercial success and you're like, we think we can do it better and maybe like also bring name to your band too, that'd mm-hmm. be one thing. Like that song was already super popular. It was charting all the time. And then this comes out and immediately surpasses it on the charts. Like, that is crazy to me, like to think about, you know, um, overall. So, man, I go on and on about this one. I just, I love the pacing. I love the vocals. And I love the auxiliary percussion. And we've talked about it this entire time. Just like, Everybody is such a good musician in this group. But with the Aguilar percussion, they really took it up a notch in this uh, specific song. Cause like there's a whole breakdown section there. Very next song is the prologue. It's not really a song. It's just a chant about uh, made famous by the crowd chanting, the whole world is watching in front of the Democratic National Convention. And it immediately picks up intensity as it goes into someday. Which is why I say these last three tracks should just be like considered their own thing. Like even if you want to consider the other nine as an album, this is like its own entity. While it is part of the album, it's not at the same time sense yeah it's definitely um it definitely feels like it has a more pointed direction than the rest of the album um and it's interesting like the whole idea of like having this like prologue obviously um People were probably like, I always kind of find it funny when there's like a prologue like this, especially on something like Spotify. If you like shuffle through and you hit just that and then go to a completely <laughs> different song. Um, but yeah, I, I think it like is a good lead in to what is a, ser- a serious song with Someday. Um, and I do really appreciate the intro just to set the feeling for it um it's really good 
And it's cool that they put a, like, obviously, yeah, it's talking to a specific date with Democratic National Convention. Um, <laughs> and, like, even now, if you listen to the song, if, if you don't, even if you don't have that memory, like you weren't alive in 68, to be like, oh, this is what they're talking about. You have a very specific date you can go look at and see what happened on that date. And there it is right there. And you get a little history lesson. Um, the I really like the lyrics to Someday. Um, it definitely just feels like some of the other songs this album are just very much like, oh, I'm in love, like love song lyrics or, you know, just like the randomly absurd things. And this one definitely feels more meaningful, like there's more meaning behind the words than some of the other tracks. And that's, <laughs> this, that's a feeling you get when you're talking about something as important as like war. Like that's a huge, it's a huge topic. It's like a thing, like, you know, there's entire sections of music <laughs> like related to protests and anti-war and all those things so that's a uh that's that's an important aspect to have and i think it's cool that they put this on their on their debut album like they, they put out a stance on an issue that was as timely as um vietnam it is so weird like like how many groups nowadays like could you imagine if somebody tried to do this nowadays where somebody like put out like a anti-war song on their debut album released in 2021 how quickly that band would get shut down and just 50 years ago it was so like it, it concludes the album almost to a T. Yeah, I think it's like super, yeah, just like it gives this album a very strong frame of reference to look at it, to like view what was happening at this point. Like you have a lot of other albums at this time, they there will be some albums that will directly reference something like war. Some of them will just skirt around the issue, um, maybe use some sort of symbolism. But this one is very specifically, they put a date in there. You know what it's about. Yeah. Like, um, I think it's important to have those sort of benchmarks when you're looking back at music because music is such an important product of a society that like, you will see how a culture really interprets and reacts to things. We talked, I talked a little bit about this on Appetite for Destruction, where you had this whole idea of like, you know, like in the late eighties, there was like, you know, a bunch of crime, like crime rates were huge. Um, and you had this idea of Guns N' Roses depicting like this, like group of like street rebels running around and like doing all this crime and stuff. And like, that was like a big thing with law and order at that point and people were talking about things like that this is just a huge point in american history where there was a war that caused so much division and people were very much on both sides some people very much in favor some people opposed so getting musicians to weigh in on that 
I think is super important to just give us a little bit of historical background. Like you get to see, you know, what was going through the heads of people at the time and who better to put the like thoughts of, of a culture into something that will survive past that moment than a song. This album concludes with Liberation, which honestly just feels like 15 minutes of the band just showing off. Like, we know we're great musicians. Here's 15 minutes of us just going ham on our instruments. Yeah, I, I've, it very much feels just kind of like an encore. Like, you just, everyone's getting a chance to play off. Personally, I kind of wish the album ended with Someday. I do too. Um, like, I, just listening I, through to it, it feels like such a powerful ending to an album that, like, that's what I want. And I really do like Liberation. I like the musicianship that it shows. But I just really, really wish that someday was like the definitive end and maybe they had done something i guess similar to nirvana where they had a bonus track but this bonus track would actually be good instead of endless nameless <laughs> um like you that's, know i, I that's thought that's what they at. could have done right they could have honestly just made this entire last leg of this album like one big track like similar to like iron butterfly and uh, in Agata Devita, where it was like 18 minutes of like musicianship and like everything that that song is. You really could have done that with this. And honestly, if you just call it like someday and it's 18 minutes long and just leave it, pretty good old closing track, in my opinion. Um, probably would not be as popular. Even though neither of you know neither of the tunes in this are very popular, so interesting enough to say the least. Yeah, I think it would have been. Like I said, I like I like pretty much all the songs on here. I'd want to keep them if I could. I think it would be interesting. Is just kind of like an experiment, like an experiment to take the album instead of. I'm a man going into prologue into someday and deliberation. If you took I'm a man had liberation after that and then kind of had liberation fade into the prologue um just to have it end on sunday and you can make it work where if you even say that you know the chanting is happening from like outside the concert hall or something whatever mm -hmm. like there are ways you could make it kind of flow i think but having that you have such a strong ending to an album on sunday and it's just like when I was listening to it today, and I was giving it like my last really good listen while taking notes and kind of preparing, um, I just got to that and I'm like, this is it. This is where I want it to end. And they're like, wait, there's another song. Yeah, yeah. It's still a good song, but oh, I just. All right, we got awards to do. We've been at this for a while. And I mean, rightfully so. This is a longer album. But I think it's one of the better ones we've done, too. Mm -hmm. Let's 
let's start with this. What what would you say are the best lyrics in the world? Uh, my choice for best lyrics comes from poem fifty eight, and um, basically it's just uh, um, the things you've done make me wish I was the only one who could ever have made you laugh. Um, that's just such a I don't know, it just like hit me. Um, it's like a kind of deep thing, um, very like introspective. Um. It, like very personal so that was one that really stood out to me when i was listening where i was like did i just hear that right and then going into the lyrics yeah. and looking at it and saying like yeah that's uh, that was my choice when i heard it i was like that's that's the one." Oh man i'm gonna go with the introduction <laughs> i love the introduction lyrics uh the second like part of this where it's like we've all spent years preparing before this band was born with heaven's help it blended and we do it and we do thank the lord just like basically they're just like yeah we're all really good but like if god didn't make us meet or something like this wasn't happening it's just like so cool that you know i love the lyrics i I don't know how to go go too much more into that uh worst lyrics on the album or least favorite lyrics Ooh, uh, it's gonna be like the entirety of question 67 68 it's just uh. it just feels so I don't know how to describe it just like the well so the voice that is singing the lyrics doesn't help right. um, it just makes it feel super hollow listening to it like the juxtaposition of the lyrics being spoke like sung and the voice that's singing it just makes it like this person I can't take seriously. Um, was like, can this feeling that we have together suddenly exist between? It's like if you have this feeling to get like I don't want to dive too much into like literal meanings of lyrics. So it's like if you have this feeling together, when it also exists between already, like eh. I think they were trying to go for this like cute sounding thing of like, oh, this is like the love between us. That we have together but it just doesn't it just doesn't make it off the ground for me i'm with you the lyrics in that song are pretty drab not gonna lie my vote is actually in does anybody know what time it is another solid choice it's just like the songwriter is such a dick <laughs> like that's 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 why I got out of this. Is just like, if this is a true event, Robert Lamb is such a jackass. <laughs> like, because that's what it feels like. This is definitely about Robert Lamb walking down the street and somebody being like, "Hey, man, what time is it?" And I was like, "Does anybody really know what time it is, or care? Like, just fucking tell them." <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it definitely feels like the um, the same like um, it just feels like one of those like well actually moments <laughs> right um, oh god like oh like you misspoke like you said who instead of whom oh. wherever that's the feeling I get with listening yes. to this or it's um, like oh actually you know what it is actually it makes what it is is if um, 
you could make the song be about a student like you're a teacher and the student's asking you if they can go to the bathroom and you're like oh, i don't may, know can you, you that uh, is that is the exact feeling yes. i get from this song i think we're gonna move the best and worst song a couple spots later what would you say is the most overplayed song on this album um just based on that it would it's it's winning lots of awards but it's question 67 and 68 for me I just, I just can't get into it. It just feels so, is that the best? I don't even think it's like the best kind of like love-ish song on this album. So like, you're not, you're not already the best at doing the thing you're supposed to do. So the fact that you have the third most plays on the album, just feels wrong to me in every way. I'm just hoping that most of that's because people are used to Chicago songs being super long they're playing the album through and they want to listen to all the beginnings and then it just starts question 67 and 68 <laughs> and then they realize oh i don't want to listen to this and they flip to another song i i think it's also the most overplayed but like yeah as a kid i used to love this song as an adult i like especially the way the lyrics are written it makes it sound like it's supposed to be like a shakespearean like almost like Little Lady Macbeth type of song, and I really hate Shakespeare so much. So uh, that's where I would lean. Um, underplayed song. Let's hear what, what you got. Uh, so mine is it's tough. I think the one that is like absolutely most underplayed that would probably be someday. Um, it's just like I'm very biased personally towards like protest songs or songs that are like about like kind of political things um obviously um i have a degree in political science and i'm really interested in how like you know like society's work kind of is and how they like express discontent with their government and like government systems and different things going on so i really like protest songs because you get a really good feeling of what the sentiments are at that time and this isn't like a full-on protest song like maybe something like a bob dylan or phil oaks would do but you still got you still have some of those sentiments in there and just on sheer number of plays relative to everything else i think it's just like it actually is like the second least played the only thing less played than someday is the prologue which i would just kind of include those together um, but yeah, I would say that one for sure is like my underplayed. This is tough. Cause like in reality, it's probably just the entire album being underplayed. Mm-hmm. Like six million, you know, six point seven million for like it's you know, arguably best song is crazy to me. Like or most popular song, 6.7 million, it's most popular song, nuts. But I also respect that, like, a lot of people who listen to Chicago traditionally probably don't listen to it on Spotify. So Spotify metrics are perfect. But if I had to pick a song that you don't hear on the radio, ever, um, I would go listen 
Uh, I was close between this and poem 58. Those are my two options like coming down the stretch. And I think I'm going to go with this one. Like, it's like the most radio friendly because it's only three and a half minutes. But like, mm-hmm. definitely could see play. And it just never, I've never heard on the radio, ever. With three awards left. And then you get to tell me what we're doing next week. You have not, uh, we have not uh, done that yet. Yeah, I should probably start thinking about that. <laughs> I got three awards. We got we got three awards here. What is the worst song on the album? <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I don't want to give every single award. I'm not giving every award to question 67 and 68. Just from like. That is like I would say my least favorite. Um, I would say just like mm, it's tough. It's so tough. Um, I would ugh, on the spot. I might have to pick. Um, Like I might have to pick freeform guitar just because I really enjoy it as a guitarist, but just overall, like if you're not expecting that, I guess that would be like a song. I think if you just had it playing on a radio, someone would be like, what is this? Turn it off. Um, It feels like something that would happen in a live concert, Um, which if I was at a Chicago concert and um, the guitarist just like started playing this during intermission. I would love that. I would eat that up. But in an album experience, not always. It's not always the thing I'm looking for. And this album does very much feel like a live concert condensed into like an hour and fifteen minutes. But overall, I think it's just like that one kind of stands out. It's like something that you would typically only hear in a live setting unless you're listening to like a specific like guitar ensemble or something like that a specific guitarist playing so i actually think i'm going to give it to liberation and the only reason why is just because like it feels out of place Mm -hmm. Um, as we kind of discussed, like it feels like it doesn't need to be there. <clears throat> and I never really thought of it that way, but like after hearing your things for like someday, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't they just end it with that? Um, so that'd be my pick and reason behind it for sure. So now I ask you, what is the best song on the album? Uh, my pick for that is going to be, again, it's like super tough. Like this, this whole album's really good. Um, like I said at the beginning, this album, the first listen I went through, I was kind of like, okay. Um, like it's like it's like pretty good. But like the more and more I listened to it, the more it just kind of grew on me. And I like, it's really hard now to pick uh pick like what i would say like my favorite or best song um i might honestly just give it to 
Hmm. It's tough, right? Yeah, it's, it's super tough. <laughs> I'm going to die on a hill here. I'm going to say that it's introduction because I like a like a band that knows what it's about and does their thing. It says they're going to do the thing, does the thing. That is exactly what introduction is. And it's not only an introduction to this album or the introduction to an act. It's just an introduction to all of these musicians and this band that has existed for over 50 years. And it's something that they're still playing today. And that's like, from the beginning, they told you what they were about. Like their first song on their first album. And that's still what they're doing today. So I think that one, I think it's going to stand out to me as the the song from this album. I am going to give it to Beginnings, even though it is the most popular song it truly highlights every member of the band in some way. And it shows just how like quality the band is as a whole. I really, really like that aspect of it. And the soloists in it, of course, are phenomenal. And the, you know, everything about it just feels like it works. And so that, that, that's gonna be my pick. And now here's the next hard part. Grade the album to close us out. Okay, so initially, like the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is going to be, I like to grade things kind of like on a relative scale. Um, and obviously, you know, last week, uh, I think I gave Point of No Return a C. Um, so I was kind of starting that, at that point, like, where do I rate this with point of no return? And on the first listen, I was like, eh, it's probably like a little bit better than that. So I was starting out as kind of like a B, like a C plus B minus territory. But after like listening to it more and giving it my final sort of thoughts, especially in the last like 24 hours, I want to give it like a solid a um just because everything on everything on this album's good like this was the most i had to uh it's tough because obviously like i had very much a choice for like my least favorite song but even then like the song's not bad i just don't think it lives up to the same level as the rest of the album whereas like with some of the other albums we've had like i could just point at a song like yeah that song's bad i think all the albums on the song are good um and it's a unique sound that like you're still seeing influences from this group and this album today and what we're hearing and it's cool and i definitely am now going to start looking up trying to see if i could find tickets for a show <laughs> near me because i want to see them perform some of these lines it's, it's so cool man i'm right there with you this is a solid day for me it's not quite an a plus because the ending of the album is drawn out but it is so good it, it, it always has been for me which is like one of those things where it's like 
as a kid, I would have given this an A. And now as an adult, it's still just lived up to that A expectation. It's one that I constantly spin. Like if I'm driving somewhere and I got an hour and a half, let's say, to get from point A to point B, it's my go-to album. You know, if I, I'm at work and I'm just needing some music to put on, it's one of my go-to albums because it's something you can put on in the background, but it's also like busy enough to where you'll keep interested in it. It checks all the boxes for me as an A album. And it still appalls me. It was not in the top 100 debut albums of all time. I just cannot believe that. Like, it is nuts to me. Um, but I don't write for Rolling Stone and I never will. So, <clears throat> what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, damn shame. They got some smart people in there. Uh, so to close this out, let's uh, tell listeners what we're going to be listening to next week. Okay. Well, we mentioned just briefly the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, so we just recently had the 2021 class get inducted. So I figured, how about we do something from one of the artists that got inducted to that because I think that'd be super cool. I'm actually like really excited that this year finally, finally, um, that they put craft work in the hall. Um, it is embarrassing that it took them six nominations to get into the hall where it's like their influence is undeniable across so many different genres of music but the artist i'm going to go with is actually an individual artist that got inducted one of my super early favorite guitarists like back when i first started having like a guitarist i was like this is my favorite um and that is randy rhodes so let's talk some ozzy osborne do some blizzard of oz next week fantastic i this will be this will be a lot of fun blizzard of oz been a while since i've listened to that man i've been doing a lot of work uh, outside of our podcast trying to get a website ready to go and facebook page and everything and uh i'm excited man to just see uh, how our listeners react to this episode because I uh, I have a feeling that there's going to be some comments people are going to leave and maybe they're not agreeing with our takes on some of the songs but who knows uh, but Blizzard of Oz next week will be a lot of fun and we're thinking for the month of December uh, which is only a few weeks away might be time to unplug it all and uh go through some MTV stuff. Um, for those of you who remember when MTV actually cared about music, there was a series called MTV Unplugged, which featured artists who, in a various amount of genres, got to come in and play an acoustic show at MTV Studios, whether it was uh, MTV Nirvana Unplugged, obviously in New York, um, or Scorpions Unplugged, famously in Athens, Greece, with the Athens Philharmonic Orchestra. 
So I think that's what we're going to do for the month of December. Uh, we'll come up with a finalized list because there's a lot of really good unplugged shows. And uh, that's going to wrap up tonight. It's been a long episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you're still here, obviously listening, obviously we know that this one's a, a truck, uh, a trek to say the least to get through. Um, but if you listen this far, you should definitely go follow the podcast on Twitter as well as our own Twitters. But um, podcast Twitter is spin it underscore pod. Go there, hit the follow button. Um, we'll post our episodes there. Um, you'll probably be getting some extra content from us going up there shortly. Um, Absolutely. And, and our yeah, Instagram follow, as well. Oh, yeah, Instagram too. Our Instagram is spin it to win it pod, uh, all one word. Um, on there as well. Same with our Facebook page. Type in spin it to win it pod. First thing that pops up. Yeah. And if you want to find at least me on Twitter and follow my own stuff, because uh, I talk about all kinds of stuff as well as stuff about music um, out there, where you can find me at aka underscore Yanni. It's Y A N N I E. And where can people find you, Zach? You can find me and all my shenanigans, Z Barnett NBA on Twitter. Anything from complaining about Cincinnati not being in the college football playoff to uh, Pacers woes as they are losing to the shorthanded Nuggets tonight to trying to explain to people that Aaron Rodgers is an absolute fucking moron. All that and more is on my Twitter account. So if you uh, enjoy any of those topics or all of them, give that a follow. Um, and thank you so much for listening wherever you get it. Uh, we will be on Apple Podcasts soon. I promise somebody has asked me about that every show. It'll be on there soon. I just, for whatever reason, my Apple ID is not working right. So I've been chatting with support about it. So It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me again this week for a really long episode. This will be uh, fun for the listeners to see you pop up on their feed. Holy shit, it's two hours or whatever, however long we've been here. Um, but this was, like I said, this is the perfect amount of time. It really took is. as long as that, yeah. Especially with an album as masterful as this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, if you're still listening, uh, or if you gave up, I know my dad's going to dream this as soon as I publish it. He is so pumped for this. So uh, if you're listening to this, uh, Thanks so much uh, for your support. Uh, let us know where you're listening, uh, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email, spin it pod at gmail.com if you have ideas for shows or maybe connections that you want to get us in contact with. And with that, signing off, episode five, Chicago Transit Authority.